You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting Podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of SmallAgreHunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. All right. Hey guys, it's Ty here. I know it's been a while and I know I dabbled in this podcasting before. But again, like the intro kind of says, I wanted to take two things really quick to start this first episode. And I'm using air quotes. I know podcast, you can't really see me do that. But I just wanted to thank you again. The fact that Small Acre Hunting, one, still exists, and two, continues to grow, is truly humbling. To just, I can't, I can't state that enough. Um, I'm just your average guy living in an average world. Um, at least my world's average. And, uh trying to help everybody that's listening, everybody that's ever followed and watched and digested anything that I've put out there. That's always been my goal, and that's what's going to be my goal forever. So just thank you uh, on behalf of myself and even Pops to a degree. I know he he has been utterly speechless and appreciative to something that I wanted to kind of mention and bring up again. Um, I actually just watched it tonight before as I was getting ready for this first podcast uh, was the episode of Embracing the Journey. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. For those of you that don't know, Small Acre Hunting does have a YouTube channel on Facebook. And uh, be sure to check it out. But there's especially an episode that I want you to search for. And the title of it is ETJ. I think it's episode 9. I don't remember the actual uh, digit name in it. But if you search the word Dovahkiin, D-O-V-A-H-K-I-I-N, Another Hunt with Al. So Dovahkiin, Another Hunt with Al. It'll come up, and it is an amazing story. Our 2019 season, when I say ours, I mean me and Pops, were truly amazing. You know, I myself, on October 5th, put down the largest whitetail that I have ever even laid eyes on in the wild. Um, never in a million years did I think I was going to be shooting something that was going to get close to Booner caliber. Uh, Green scored gross 175. His name was Cicero. Many of you guys that have listened. It, it was. It's just an amazing year. But the reason why I brought up Dovahkiin was Dovahkiin and that video and that story has always kind of recentered me into understanding just what hunting should be and what hunting is for all of us. And uh, the tribute to Al. And I don't want to give too much away because if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. Um, truly does remind us of just the blessing that hunting is and I want each and every one of you to remember that Um, so now that aside you know do that later don't do that right now let's listen to the rest of this podcast so as you can check uh, or guess by the name of this podcast it's called the spring green check-in and that's essentially what it is I've decided that a podcast is going to be a very easy way for me to kind of give you an update um reflect on what I've done recently and 
forecast what I'm going to be doing in the future. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people always ask me, Ty, you know, sometimes you, you give great information, but it's always like a month after the fact, you know, I'm always releasing videos and, and, but it's always, I always gather the video, do the stuff, edit it, produce it, put it forth. And now it's too late. So like, you know, some of the stuff that I've, I've put out there, guys are like, it's just a little too late, Ty. So the podcast is going to allow me to give you almost like an immediate live update to things. So let's just chat for a second what we've been doing so far this year. Um, I really haven't been able to do much. Everything has kind of been put on hold for at least at the new 22 for logging purposes. Uh, I've already expressed to you guys from the second I bought this property I hunted it that first year. I wanted to learn it and all this stuff, but then I contacted a logger that was supposed to come in 2018, uh, January of 2018, so right after the 17th season he was supposed to come. Did not happen. Um, sadly, you know, there was just too many. It just didn't work, and it's a, it's a local Amish logger. He's a really good guy. My parents used him. And it was something that I wanted to get done because, you know, you know I'm a huge advocate. If you've followed small acre hunting for any length of time or as you listen throughout the podcast, I guarantee you, you're going to learn that I am a huge fan of getting light to the ground, explosive herbaceous vegetation, that early success, early successional growth is what I'm after. And on my 22 acres, I want to maximize every single bit of it that I can. And there's a, there's a lot of overhead canopy in certain sections of the property that are choking out and just creating a park effect underneath. And I know that I can produce a lot more cover, a lot more security, and a lot more food all at the same time by aggressively logging my property. But sadly, that didn't happen. So this year, again, I haven't been able to go in and start doing any hinge cutting and everything. The guy was supposed to come in January. I even t called him up and told him he could come in December a little bit early. It actually worked out good that he wasn't able to come in December because Pops was able to kill and harvest Dovahkiin on New Year's day. I believe it was January 1st even. It might have been January 2nd, but I think it was January 1st when he harvested that buck. So it was good, but he unfortunately has not been able to come out. And at this point with the spring green up and the high water table and the excessive uh, snow melting and such, I highly doubt he's going to be able to get out to the property. He's going to be you know, processing wood here soon and not be logging it. He kind of stops in the summer months. So looks like logging's out of the, out of the picture again. So I wasn't really able to do anything in this early spring. I really like to hit the woods running in January and February. If I've got any large hinge cutting projects or any uh, cutting non-loggable trees out, that's the time frame that I like to do it, especially because when you get those trees down onto the ground, that is providing the deer with a lot of woody brows that used to be up high. Every single year, a living tree produces, you know, fresh growth, that, that one year and newer growth on those trees and the buds even. So when you have those trees up and you cut them in January and February and March and April, you know, before the spring green up when the explosion of food happens for the, for the deer in herbaceous vegetation and things like that, woody browse is their primary food source. So if you cut those trees... All that woody browse that was above their head that they couldn't reach is now there for their taking. Um, it's amazing how many times we've logged over maple trees and locust trees and just any tree in general over into a food plot, put a camera on it, and the deer find it and visit it for weeks to come. And you can go and visit this tree and you can see the, the last, you know, ever so many inches, whatever I would assume is that last year's growth they're just hammering 
and it is their primary food source is woody browse during this time of the year. Some estimate, some biologists I've read have estimated as much as 60 to 70% of their diet in the Midwest and down south. So, you know, if you get up to the northern areas, I'm sure it's probably even higher. But that has been eluding me at the new 22 because I don't want to hinge and then be logging big trees on top of hinges. Just doesn't work out that way. You want to get your big logs out first, and then if you're going to sculpt and do hinging, you want to do it after the fact. So haven't really been able to do anything. However, we did get out to the property a couple weeks back to do uh, some frost seeding. So frost seeding for me this time of the year, I was, you know, if you have prepped areas for switchgrass, this is the time frame that you'd be doing it. I don't. So the frost seeding for me this year was a lot of clover. I have one existing clover plot at the property that's thriving, doing quite well. There's a few bare spots, but I, I just, I like to overseed my clover plots, even if it's just a little bit. So, you know, normal clover recommendation seeding is usually seven to 10 pounds an acre. So I might throw two pounds down per acre onto an existing clover plot just to thicken it up. If there's any minimal, um, any small bare spots, you know, maybe the previous year I had a few tufts of grass form that I hit hard with clethodem and there's a dead spot. I'll hit those this time of year. You can really see those because everything's died down. No clover's growing in there quite yet. Nothing's been able to spread into it. So I'm going to get the clover seed down into it. Uh, this is also a good time to overseed prepped areas that maybe were beans in the past, Roundup Ready spots that right now are exposed dirt because it hasn't had a year for any of the native uh, seed bank or any of the native seeds to explode in the weeds and things to regerminate up back into those areas. This is the time frame to get out there and seed your clover. Now you can also lime at this time because this is also a good time to get your soil tests in preparation for what you need to do moving forward. So I'm going to actually be doing soil tests here within the next seven days. I've got soil tests that I send into labs, but I also have soil tests. And we've always used Whitetail Institute. Um, I'm, this isn't a promo for them. There's a, there's a bunch of good companies out there. There's even, you know, you can set up with labs to where you just collect the dirt yourselves, label it, send it in, and they'll give you the results back. A lot of the times local seed elevators or local co-ops will do soil tests for you. Um, I have some of the... Uh, Soil tests, I actually am going to be trying this year. They're a little bit cheaper, but they're the kind where you put some of the soil in the tube, add the water. It's, I don't know, you got to like shake it up or something, and it changes colors, and you can check the potassium, the phosphorus, the nitrogen, and the pH in the soil. So those probably are not quite as accurate, obviously, as sending it in the lab, but it's going to give me a good estimation on, you know, what the soil is up to in given areas. So this is a good time to take your soil tests. So... Uh, but yeah, those clover spots, I actually had a couple spots that were in brassicas and cereal grains this last year that are kind of bare in and along the edges of tree lines where I wanted to put something in there that was going to grow a little bit better. Clover's a little bit more shade tolerant and such, so I put some clover down on those areas as well because, you know, your clover and your winter rye that was seeded the previous year, those are going to be the first two food plot things that typically green up for you, especially for those of you located in the Midwest like myself. Uh, if I haven't mentioned already, I'm from northern Indiana. That's where I'm at, almost into Michigan, really. So that's a little bit of a, a note for yourself to, to jot down and remember. Uh, while we were there, we actually had a few trees come in. I've ordered from, I've had pretty good luck from a few different nurseries out there. And this year, I had a few more trees come in from Stark Bros Nursery. 
I believe they're out of Missouri, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Don't quote me on that. But uh, had a couple, uh, let me see, what did we have come in? We had two pear trees, if I remember right, and two or three apple trees. Um, we planted those strategically in and around an area where that we're going to kind of sculpt out a few more parallel trails, cutting through some briar patches, some uh, wild black raspberry bushes that act as dividers. They are literally thick, lush, almost, you know, overhead high of a normal human being. You know, I'm 5'11", and, and a lot of it's too high for me to see through. I can't see out of one plot into the other, and at times they're only 10 yards apart. So we're going to be strategically opening up a trail that connects one food side, one food plot to another at a diagonal to try to encourage more uh, movement. And we planted these fruit trees in and along that corridor in a diagonal stretch to try to encourage a little bit in, in, in the future years as those trees mature, they're going to uh, become a, a, a not only a food source, but being a food source, a soft mass food source, they're going to be a pretty good communication source. Deer are probably going to use apple trees, get scraped underneath a lot, at least in our experience. So I expect the deer to use them as kind of a communication hub. We're obviously going to, they're all fenced in. One of them has soft netting fencing that we're kind of experimenting with this year. Actually, two of them do. And we're going to see how that goes. Um, it's, a, it's a real fine netting that uh, is, is supposedly going to be able to keep the deer out. We staked them up, and we're just testing them. Otherwise, we usually use uh, regular fencing, metal fencing and such. We do protect uh, with spiral tree guards the uh, trunk of the tree upon planting. That's something that we always make sure to do. If you don't do that, this is the time of year and into Jan and actually we're a little bit past it, but man, in the brunt of the winter, that's when your rodents like your your chipmunks, your your squirrels, your rabbits, your groundhogs will gnaw the bottoms of those trees. They love that fresh cambium layer, um, especially in a hard winter, and that's what you want to deter them from doing. And that's why a lot of people will use those spiral tree guards or tree guards in general. Or I know another trick that a lot of people use is they'll use white latex paint. The reason why you don't use black or any other color is because it doesn't absorb heat as much, and it doesn't cause... Um, I think it's called scarring or, or sun scarring or something like that. But uh, I was told to try that sometime. I'm going to experiment with that in the future as well. But we did get some trees in the ground. We do actually have more coming. I have an order with Arbor Day this year. They had a bunch of trees that I just want to try out. Um, their prices are pretty good. Typically, a lot of the stuff you get from Arbor Day is smaller. So those of you that are kind of deciding what you want to get and if Arbor Day is one of the places you're considering just realize you are going to get a lot of seedlings they are going to be smaller but I'm ordering a bunch of uh, things like witch hazel and arrowwood and uh, I think there's some dogwood coming in and what that is eventually I think what I'd like to do is try to plant these get them going in an area and then transplant them out of this area into a bedding area this bedding area that I have in mind is an area that's been overtaken with bush honeysuckle as of late, that bush honeysuckle really is a non-native invasive species to my area, and it chokes out all understory. While it's thick, it's good, and yes, I have seen the deer nibble it, but not on my property where there's a lot of other good native food sources, and there's a lot of good food sources in general. They don't seem to hit it. On other properties, 
Yeah, I know some people that claim they swear that they, they annihilate the, the bush honeysuckle. Well, I'm telling you right now, if it's the true bush honeysuckle, the small tree bushes, and they're eating it, it's because your property is void of good, nutritional, rich food otherwise. So I want to eradicate this entire area. It's probably, I would say, at least two acres. It might be as big as four. I'd like to bulldoze or, you know, get something in there to just just clear that whole area out and then plant, you know, uh, willow cuttings, this witch hazel, this arrowwood, obviously the arrowwood, I think it's the vibrinium um, genus or species, I don't know what it is, but the vibrinium, uh, any, any tree that falls into that family or whatever, I know the deer just absolutely love and annihilate. So the arrowwood and things like that I'm going to have to protect. I'm going to fence them in for a year or two and create a new bedding area of similar makeup, low bush type trees and bushes, things that don't reach much higher than the deer's height, but have it be native species that are going to be, you know, uh, feeding the deer and not taking over and forming a monoculture like bush honeysuckle does. It's going to be an endeavor because bush honeysuckle spreads fairly quickly and it's hard to eradicate. So I fully expect that I will have to go in there and do a lot of hack and squirting even after the clearing and for years to come because I've got it on other portions of the property. I'm just going to keep it from getting into that section and slowly start departmentalizing my attack plan against it. So that's one thing that uh, is kind of in the future that we hope to do on the new 22. So uh, getting those trees from Arbor Day in the ground are future plans, getting the soil test done, our future plans. Those are things that, you know, if you're sitting out there right now and you're wondering, what should I be doing, Ty? What have I to do? What's on my to-do list or what should be? If you haven't already uh, frost seeded, now's the time. Because I know in my area, I'm starting to see green ups. I'm starting to see bud swelling. But the chances are, if you you might still be getting freezing temperatures at night, depending where you are. We are not. It's getting down into like the 40s maybe, but it's not getting below freezing a lot. We do have one cold snap coming in this weekend, and then it's going to warm back up, or one cold snap tomorrow, and then it's going to warm back up this weekend. But you could probably still get clover seed down, especially if you wait and do it on a day that it's going to rain or a day that's going to follow a day that's going to rain. That is going to most likely... Get that seed to soil contact, and once the clover seed and the soil temperature gets to the right degrees, it will germinate for you. Uh, that should help you. That's going to help you establish a clover plot. It's going to help you get a kickstart on it. it. Obviously, if the soil's not, if the ground isn't prepped, there's an area where I, we park a lot, and it was just a grassy area. I frost seeded it last year, sprayed it with clethodum, and it's probably about 45 to 55% clover this year. Frost seeded again this year, and I'm going to hit it with clethodum again. It's, it's a slow process, but it's an area that I'm basically, without tilling, turning into a clover plot. So it is something that is possible, but you got to understand and be realistic with your expectations. You can't expect a frost seeding to just, bam, give yourself a flush, plush, clover plot it's just not going to happen guys we have to be realistic when we do these things if you're not going to prep the ground beforehand kill it off with glyphosate and things of that nature 
be realistic what your frost seeding is going to accomplish, but frost seeding should be on the top of your list. Getting soil tests should be on the top of your list. If you haven't already got soil tests, get out there and get soil tests. Um, a lot of you are probably like me. You have micro plots. They're anywhere from a tenth of an acre, sixteenth of an acre, all the way up to an acre. No matter what the size of the plot is, at least take three soil samples. Divide that plot into three different sections. Take three samples and then mix them all together. Yes, soils are going to vary. They can vary tremendous, just 20 yards apart, depending on the trees that were around, depending on the soil makeup, depending on the organic matter that's been delivered into that section. Whatever it might be, yes, it could change. But that's going to give you an overall picture of the plot. Don't just go into the middle of the plot and assume that's going to give you the best reading. If you can take 20 samples and mix all those together, by all means do it. But I like to, I have a minimum rule of three. I like to, no matter what the size of the plot is, I like to take at least three samples, put them into a bucket, mix that up, because then, of course, you put it into a little baggie and you're not going to use all the soil that you dig up out of the ground, of course, for the soil sample. But that, soil samples, clover, those should be on the top of your list. If you're like me and... There's another thing that I'm going to be doing, and that is checking on all my stands. Uh, I like to always put a fresh strap on every stand every year. However, in the spring, this is the time frame before the trees start swelling, before the trees start growing. You need to get up there, climb up, loosen those things, you know, at least loosen the straps up to where the stand is almost like breaking free and slipping down the tree. And what that's going to do, it's going to allow the tree to grow. It's not going to restrict it. It's not going to choke the tree um, if you want to leave the stand up the tree. Obviously, if you can and you have the time, take the stands down, go through them all, prep them, spray them, treat them, replace bolts, straps, whatever you need to do. And then we'll hang those back up in June or July like a lot of people do. Um, actually, a lot of people don't. A lot of people wait until... like. A, September 30th or something like that. We don't want to do that. Although I have done that, I'm not going to say I haven't. I think we all have to a certain extent. But soil tests, clover, stands, hinge cutting, now is still a good time. You know, I'll hinge cut all year. So if you're looking at a property where now you have some time available to you, you know, all this is relative to what time you have. But this is a good time of year as any to get out there Start your hinge cutting. If you don't have money logs that you need to get out first, remove the biggest trees first. If your goal is to truly open up and get sunlight to the ground, start with the bigger trees, strategically hinge cut all the trees in that area then. Well, not all the trees. I, I say that, you know, that would be excessive. But, you know, you want to remove a good portion of that overstory to where you're going to get a lot of light coming down. And the nice thing about hinge cutting, it allows you to have structure where structure didn't exist. Um, I've been on consults where guys will have park effect style woods. They'll have a lot, I mean, just insane mature timber. And there's like nothing growing and on the floor, you can, you can literally see across 40 acres. There's no structure. You know, the youngest trees are the size of my calves. But they're 40, 50, 60 feet tall because they're stretching up as quick as they possibly can to try to get that sunlight because there's nothing down low being let in by the mature canopy cover. And I've told these people, you know, I, obviously I'm of the, of the mindset, get those mature trees out. But a lot of people, for whatever reason, have this insane love of mature trees and they love you know just 
they don't want to cut him. Well, I'll tell you this much. Hinging the non-massive trees, going in there and hinging everything that's not considered a fully mature tree, will do one thing. It's going to at least add sight structure in the woods, albeit those trees are not going to live because they're not going to have. You can hinge cut them over. It's going to elevate the structure instead of laying them down flat on the ground, and that's what provides structure, but they're probably not going to live because they're not going to get sunlight. However, think of it like this. Your woods and a pond. In a pond that you freshly dig, there's no growth. There's no structure. There's nothing in there. So what do a lot of people do? They'll either build with pallets and wood or metal or, you know, well, not metal, but wood a lot of the times people will use. Or they'll throw Christmas trees in the ponds. They'll, they'll drop actual trees into the pond. And all that is is adding structure to that pond. At least in a mature forest, if you're going to fall a lot of the non-mature trees, the non-holier-than-thou mature trees so some people just can't get over protecting at least that's going to provide structure that's going to provide site blocking it's not going to it's not going to be a living structure it's not going to be living cover but it's gonna at least be something more that the deer have to slip in and around and it's going to provide them security we're all about elevating security. That's actually what a lot of the podcasts moving forward are going to tackle. I'm going to share with you guys one of the things that I'm working on this year that's actually going to mean more podcasts in this fashion to check in with you because I'm going to be working on the back end in developing a lot of video content for something I'm calling the attack plan. The attack plan is going to be hopefully, fingers crossed, something that folks will be able to watch from beginning to end and kind of tap into my mindset. When you hire me for a consult, you know, my job is to utilize everything I've learned and express to you what I feel you need to do with your property. Well, the attack plan is going to be a way that somebody who maybe can't afford a a consult, you know, let's be honest, not everybody can afford a consult. Not everybody can afford to hire the amazing minds that are out there in the habitat world, and I'm not including myself in that. But I want you to begin to rewire or reconnect your mind to think how it should when you're designing your own habitat plan, when you're going about attacking this. And that's why I'm calling it the attack plan. Everything about it is security drives the entire thing. All your decisions should be based upon security. And I'm getting it. I'll get into that more in the future. I just want to kind of dabble that, throw that out there like a little carrot to you. But I think that's all I've got for this episode, guys. Hey, we're right around the 26, 27 minute mark. So hopefully in the future, you know, I'm actually getting all set up to where this podcast, I'm going to have guests on at times. I'm going to have friends on at times. We're going to discuss deer hunting in depth, in general, just shoot the, shoot the crap, shoot the whatever i'm probably going to edit that out i probably won't because i'll be too lazy so i apologize um i have no idea what i was trying to say there shoot the bull that's what i was trying to say but i think that's all i got guys god bless thank you for listening and as always good luck out there as i already said before Thank you for listening to this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast. Hopefully wherever you find yourself, private, public, 
big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.